0: listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. Good evening, you're listening to Drishti Point Yoga Radio, CFRO 100.5 Vancouver Cooperative Radio. I'm your host, Liana, and today we have um, a very interesting Guest, Dr. Ann Little. But before I introduce her, um, we are uh, welcoming members or listeners to call in to become members today. Uh, we're an entirely listener-supported radio station. So if you'd like to become a member, please call in at 604-684-8494. Uh, and so... We have Anne here in the studio. Dr. Anne Little has a Ph.D. in transpersonal psychology and an M.A. in counseling psychology. She is a Groff holotropic breathwork practitioner and studies shamanism, tantric Buddhism, Hindu, Tantra, and also has been a longtime student of Western astrology. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Liana.
0: I'm wondering um if you could tell us a little bit about your practice before we get into any specific questions. Mm-hmm.
1: So my practice is a combination of holotropic breathwork, mm. which I'll talk about a little more in detail, um it, which it's a technique that uh uses sort of a combination of body and mind, um a way that we use deep breathing combined with evocative music to enter or access what we call non-ordinary states of consciousness, but for the purposes of healing, transformation, and consciousness evolution. Okay. And the other part of my practice is traditional counseling, although I use a transpersonal framework for my counseling, so using uh, Stanislav Groff's Map of Consciousness, and other um, theorists in the transpersonal movement, Ken Wilber, Jenny Wade, um, Michael Washburn, have all offered... Their theories on consciousness studies so I use a combination depending on uh, what we're looking at in terms of helping somebody move through their issues and empower themselves
0: great okay um, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about transpersonal
1: psychology and what that is mm-hmm. so the first uh, three movements in psycho- in the field of psychology were the behavioral movement which is um, you know the when people were using um, more rats and pigeons as a way to study psychology and mm-hmm. then we know, we all know about Freudian psychoanalysis as the second force. Um, in the 60s, because of the intense changes that were happening in the culture, Abraham Maslow developed what's what we call humanistic psychology and that focuses more on um, human potential and uh, working with healthy individuals versus um, looking at psychology or the the psyche as pathological. Mm-hmm. And then in 1967, transpersonal psychology was developed, um, just adding to humanistic psychology, uh, but but also realizing that um, the the human psyche does have a spiritual base, and so transpersonal psychology combines spiritual perspectives with Western psychology. Okay. it's known as the fourth force in psychology today the fourth fourth and newest most progressive force in psychology
0: great and how did you how did you come to practice transpersonal psychology could you tell us a little bit about your journey
1: mm-hmm when I was very young in my early 20s I experienced a disorienting crisis due to the end of an important relationship in my life mm. and um, to deal with that I was introduced very fortunately, to holotropic breathwork uh, which was being, offering, or being offered at that time um, at Hollyhock and also there was people doing b- workshops of the breathwork here in Vancouver. Um, I attended the Hollyhock workshop for a week and found holotropic breathwork to be extraordinarily simple yet amazingly powerful and healing, not only for myself but for the other participants in the workshop and that drew me to uh, decide to study with Dr. Stanislav Groff and his wife Christina who developed holotropic breathwork that's 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 the beginning and that, that unfolded um as i as i continued with that 3-year training program with the grofs i met amazing people and um was in the presence of stan an enlightened being which it drew me to make the decision to study transpersonal psychology deeper by going to California where I did my PhD in transpersonal psychology.
0: Okay. So, um, as I understand it, holotropic breath work is part of trans is a, is a technique used in transpersonal psychology. That's right. All right. And, and, um, Groff is one of the head head honchos of transpersonal psychology
1: yeah he was he was one of the the main founders okay and uh, today he and Ken Wilbur are known as the two foremost transpersonal theorists and Stan and Ken have each written 20 to 30 books or more about their theories Mm -hmm. and there's some similarities and some important differences between the theories Okay, but they're both um, very prominent and they offer insightful information about the transpersonal field and especially consciousness evolution And I know you just said
0: that they wrote 30 plus books, but could you perhaps um, Give us an example of of a theory that they they uh, wrote about
1: Mm -hmm. so Stan's um, main theory it's a map of consciousness um, he f- he came to find through the use of non-ordinary states of consciousness, which are basically um, we know them better as altered states of consciousness um, he was working first in Czechoslovakia in pra- Prague and then uh, at Johns Hopkins University in Maryland mm-hmm. with deep non-ordinary states of consciousness and his work with both the work that he did himself and work with others allowed him to see that um, the 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 view that uh, kind of current or you know academic psychology and psychiatry has um, is remiss in that it looks only at the issues of that psychological issues come from infancy and or childhood or adolescence. Mm-hmm. The transpersonal view or the understanding that Groff has come to is that it goes far beyond that. It's our, our the psyche is much more expansive. It draws upon the Jungian idea of the collective unconscious mm-hmm. and um that the the way that we traditionally view the psyche is is very is a tiny tiny view of what's actual in his experience
0: okay, and for our listeners, can you describe what a non ordinary state of consciousness is
1: sure so a non ordinary state of consciousness is it's it's basically having an altered state of consciousness that allows us to transcend the the ordinary sense of, of the ego or body, mm-hmm. and they also typically transcend both uh, three-dimensional space and linear time. So, for example, people can have very realistic, for example, past life experiences that even though they may not believe at all in past lives or reincarnation, that somehow an experience like this, this is just one example. There's many, there's so many varieties, but that somehow this kind of experience helps the puzzle piece fit in as to what's missing. Mm-hmm. You know, when people talk about, oh, you know, is, is my, is this issue in my marriage related to, um, something that happened in my childhood, With with non-ordinary states, we can go deeper and find out where the roots really are. Sometimes they're karmic. Sometimes they're related to birth. Sometimes they're ancestral. Sometimes they're past life. If this makes sense, I hope hope the listeners don't find this too out there.
0: (laughs) It's um, there's so much that you're saying. There's so many. I I could go in so many different ways here. Um, Could you? I know you mentioned young and the um, the unconscious. The Mm
1: The collective unconscious. The collective
0: unconscious, yes. And it sounds like um, can you can you speak on the collective unconscious? Because there are so many different ways that you just mentioned um, about you know um, uh, through karma and through um, ancestral. Is is it all connected to being part of the collective unconscious, or can you can you speak to that?
1: Yeah. I, Jung said that we have both the personal unconscious which is memories and issues that we might have suppressed during our lives we mm-hmm. all have a lot of those things that they just weren't that significant enough to for us to remember like people will say well I don't remember the name of my second grade teacher but you know that that does reside in the personal unconscious the collective unconscious is kind of the vast universal um, pool that we can tap into with that includes archetypes, myth- mythological figures, um, historical issues. And people c- typically c- uh, contact the, the collective unconscious using non ordinary states and mm-hmm. um, connect with things that they have never studied or never learned about in this current lifetime. And so it, it provides evidence for the reality that that, that deep pool exists underneath. The personal unconscious, and as Jung suggested, Dr. Carl Jung. That's so interesting. You're listening to Drishti Point
0: Yoga Radio on CFRO 100.5 FM, Cooperative, Vancouver Cooperative Radio. I'm your host, Leanna, and we're talking to Dr. Ann Little today. Um, you just heard O Rama by Sushila Rahman. And as well, I wanted to reach out to the caller who just called in and we were unable to answer your call. So um, if you are calling in within this hour, could you call us back during the music break so we can um, talk to you? We would love to talk to you. So for all the rest of the listeners out there, if you'd like to help support Drishti Point and Cooperative Radio, and Vancouver Cooperative Radio, please give us a call at 604-684-8494. We're looking for members and also member renewals. And if you're interested, come in, uh, come and give us a call. Once again, the number is 604-684-8494. So we're talking to Dr. Anne Little, who has a PhD in Transpersonal Psychology and an MA in Counseling Psychology. She's also a practitioner of um, Shamanism, Tantric Buddhism, Hindu Tantra, and has been a longtime student of Western Astrology. Welcome back, Anne. Thanks, Liana. Um, before the break, we were talking about Jungian, uh, Jungian depth psychology and the collective unconscious, and I was wondering, um, perhaps, if we could change gears and talk about your own journey uh, and what has inspired you to do this work.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm, to be honest, when I first began, it was out of desperation. I was basically willing to try anything. I was I was dealing with depression and f- an intense emptiness inside a sense of not knowing where home was or where my rootedness was. Uh, breath work was the key for me to not only connect with myself, but have my heart open so I could connect with others. And um, being in the breathwork workshops that I attended was just such a beautiful experience because of the authenticity I experienced in the other participants. Um, as basically holotropic breath work often begins as a healing journey and people are attracted because of trauma that they may have experienced in childhood or perhaps birth trauma Um, as you continue and I have been doing it myself for 20 years uh, the first first 10 years or so I was very dedicated to the breath work and I did it continuously. And what I found is that things began to open and unfold. So it's as if I moved deeper through my childhood issues into my, what we, what Stan Groff calls perinatal or birth trauma issues. And then, um, in his theory, basically the birth, once we begin experiencing our own birth, it opens up into the transpersonal realms. So for me, this is not, um, something that everybody experiences, but, but my own journey happened to drop me into what I now know is ancestral wounding. And, um, so I was part of, of that journey allowed me to connect with specifically one one special ancestor, an aunt who I had known, but she died in 1989 just before I kind of got on the path myself. And, um, her, her, um, what she asked me to do was to, um, in effect, heal the ancestors. She said, nobody else in the family is strong enough to heal the ancestors. We need you to do it for us. And so what I began to experience both in breath work, but also in my kind of current life was, um, wounding specifically about power and disempowerment in terms of male and female relationships, so, you know, considering my parents' relationship, but going deeper and realizing that the women in my lineage have, have not been empowered. And of course, this is very typical with all of us who are women. Um, I began to experience personal empowerment my, myself and notice amazing shifts within my family. Um, that's also, I, I tend to attract a lot of not only women, but many women who are struggling with that kind of dynamic in their own lives in their marriages for example and um, During the time that I was dealing with the ancestor work. I was doing a lot of the breath work. I experienced a kundalini awakening and what happens with the kundalini awakening and other spiritual emergencies Is that um, non-ordinary states of consciousness begin to occur spontaneously in your everyday life Mm -hmm. and uh, so the result of of that has been profound Um, there was a time about a year that that was very difficult to deal with and challenging fortunately i was in the san francisco bay area where there's so many spiritual teachers and um, i had a lot of support and guidance and but i can 't say anything but good things about the the outcome of the Kundalini, even though we know stories of people that have difficulties and challenges while they 're dealing with it
0: could you sorry to interrupt um Could you describe the non ordinary states of consciousness that you felt
1: and also um, perhaps touch on what a spiritual emergency is mm-hmm. uh, Stanislav and Christina Groff coined the term spiritual emergency. To um, refer to a psychospiritual crisis, and specifically to non ordinary states of consciousness that are occurring spontaneously, um, the breath work and other techniques are ways. Meditation, for example, yoga sometimes are ways for us to enter non ordinary states on purpose. That we, we purposely take what is called a controlled regression to um, uncover things that we might not know that that are necess- they're they're creating blocks in our lives. With the, with the spiritual emergency, and it takes many different forms, um, it's basically that the non-ordinary states are happening to you and you're not purposely using a technique to access those things. Uh-huh. So of course it can be intense. And if people, I was very fortunate to have studied with a and know about spiritual emergency before I experienced one myself. So I didn't have the crazy-making idea that some people struggle with if they, some people are misdiagnosed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, that's uh, very difficult. So it's important to find somebody that knows about spiritual emergency and specifically has experienced one to be able to uh, have a more clear kind of diagnosis of whether somebody is dealing with spiritual emergency or sometimes psychosis, psychosis exactly mm-hmm. and there's they're they're actually quite different if if you know what to look for they're they're very different but you know um a lot of people for example you know mds that have been schooled in traditional settings might not understand the differences or d- definitely will not understand the differences
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would imagine it's quite easy for people to be misdiagnosed because right now you're the only person i know that is um in vancouver that is specializing in
1: spiritual emergency mm-hmm, that's yeah. true um, there's a great book if anyone out there is interested it's called spiritual emergency and it's written by stanislav and christina groff mm-hmm. that gives a really good introduction i'll give my information later about yeah. contacting me if people okay. would like to
0: great i don't know if you've heard of the yogic state of samadhi mm-hmm. is that would that be considered a non-ordinary state of consciousness absolutely then, yeah
1: yes okay and um there's many non ordinary states um peak experiences for example uh, we know you know the, the culture is very aware of um drinking and smoking to induce highs but non ordinary states uh, when we create them ourselves um are are tend to be extremely the possibility to transform and evolve occurs because Um, there's a, there's a healing potential behind them, which goes Mm -hmm. to, into the roots of, um, shamanism throughout the world. Um, historically it's been, shamanism has been a universal and worldwide phenomenon, 40,000 years old or so.
0: And how, um, how do, how, what is the connection between the peak experiences and the shamanism?
1: So shamanism is known as basically it's called technology of the sacred. Mm-hmm. So it is the use of non-ordinary states. It's kind of a spiritual practice that 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 is the main focus is using non-ordinary states.
0: Okay, all right. Um, I interrupted you rudely in your story. So you can can you continue with your um? We got until your kundalini awakening and then you were experiencing the non-ordinary states and then i was super curious about the non-ordinary states what happened after that
1: so um my own kundalini experience lasted 12 years and it it was at the beginning for about a year or so at the beginning kind of intense non-ordinary states happening all the time so it's basically purging all of the ancestral material that had been buried basically my parents you know most of our parents um, Well, I'm a little bit older than you so it might be different but my parents generation people weren't generally doing inner work it was Mm -hmm. just not seen as something that people do Mm -hmm. Um, so they were focused much more on a material plane and raising their children etc what happens with multi-generational family patterns is that if if uh, somebody doesn't do the work on them, they're going to pass down the generations. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, you know, having the fortunate experience of getting to do this work, um, it began opening and helping me to understand all these things about my ancestral lineage on both sides of my family that affected not only my, my parents, but also myself, my siblings. And then, um, having experience of that depth expands your view to such an extent that you start to see reality differently. So it's basically like, um, you know, the illusion of what we believe, the conditioned reality of what we are taught to believe began to dissolve. And I began to see things in a much wider expansive view, specifically, you know, one area, it's not the only area that I'm speaking of, but one area is related to, um, the ancestral patterns that we all are you know looking at hopefully dealing with at some point because um it, they will continue passing down the line unless somebody does the work
0: Hmm. Hmm. and do you feel like there's a um i know you mentioned that uh in our parents generations and most of our parents generations then there wasn't a focus on the material do you feel like right now that there is um an awakening of uh, of people who would like to start doing this work?
1: Absolutely. Um, to, at the risk of sounding slightly flaky here, um, there, Uranus and Pluto were together th- from an archetypical astrology perspective. Uranus and Pluto were together in a conjunction in the 1960s and um, major changes happened during that time. Mm. Um, I don't have to go into detail about all the amazing things that happened. Um, and of course that, that, um, impulse affected continuing generations. What's happening now is that we're having the square of Uranus and Pluto for the first time since the sixties. So what, what that Uranus is about revolution and breakthrough energy. Pluto is about the, the deep, the collective unconscious, the underworld. Um, many people who have, an, an aspect of Uranus and Pluto in their astrology charts currently are are likely dealing with intense inner revolutionary breakthrough energies, mm-hmm. and of course that may look to somebody at the at, in the current time as you know a breakdown or or v- big challenges are happening. Um, the The best way to look at them is, in fact, it's a transformative. This is a very transformative period, and this is actually lasting between. It's, it began in 2012, it's going through 2016, that we'll be experiencing what um, Richard Tarnas, a well-known archetypal astrologer, says will be a reawakening of what happened in, in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So we should be seeing, we, we, we're already, that's already around us, but we should be seeing a lot more interest and opening and um, insight and you know experience in these realms in the general culture. Great. And I'll also add just, you know, the fact that, um, in the film and in film and television and literature right now, we are seeing, you know, a lot more interest beginning with Harry Potter, but there's, there's parapsychology all over the place right now. And, um, time traveling and all sorts of interesting, uh, experiences that allude to non-ordinary states of consciousness.
0: You're listening to Drishti Point Yoga Radio, I'm your host Leanna, CFRO 100.5 FM, Vancouver Cooperative Radio, and today we're asking members or listeners to call in or visit our website um, and help support Co-op Radio and Drishti Point. All of our shows are run by volunteers. And I personally volunteer here because I am so inspired by Drishti Point. Drishti Point's interviews have, um, deepened my yoga practice and inspired my life ever since I became involved with Drishti Point last year. And I, um, I hope that we're inspiring you too. So if you'd like, uh, check out the website at www.cooperadio.org. You are listening to Krishna Madhuram by Sparrow Devani. Uh, That was our last song. She's going to be in concert here in Vancouver, November 1st at 8 p.m. And you can look for more details at www.givepeaceachant.org. And today we're listen, uh, we're talking to Dr. Ann Little. Uh, she has a PhD in transpersonal psychology and practices here in Vancouver. She's also uh, study a student of shamanism, tantric Buddhism, Hindu tantra, and studies Western astrology. Thank you for being here, Ann, and welcome back.
1: Thank you, Liana.
0: And before the break, we were talking a, a little bit about your journey. Um, uh, your spiritual spiritual journey and how that inspires your practice and I think we got to the twelve years of Kundalini awakening that sounded really intense mm-hmm. um and where what happened after that
1: basically the non ordinary states began to slow down and um i i began to notice or i was aware of it all along, but um my consciousness was far more expansive than what I had been conditioned to believe is possible. Um, what we call in the old traditions of cities. So basically the supernatural natural powers are often um, uh, kind of brought to the surface by the Kundalini awakening. Mm-hmm. So I was experiencing, um, you know, different kinds of knowing about reality, um, things that didn't really make sense to me until i began to study buddhism and hinduism more deeply mm-hmm. that makes sense
0: yes it does. and
1: um basically at this point i feel so so much gratitude for the intensity of my evolutionary path um it's allowed me to for you know deep personal deep personal fulfillment Um, the capacity to be present, to be detached, to be living in the now. Mm. um, And just uh, the ability to be rather than having to do and push myself. Um, I could go on for a long time, but it's just been, I feel tremendous gratitude that I was fortunate enough to find the teachers and the techniques that I've followed myself.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like your practice is really inspired by your own personal experience. And that's kind of been a way of um, a, a guiding force in what you've chosen to study and how you've chosen to incorporate um, what you have into your practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, We have a couple more minutes to talk about um, your practice and transpersonal psychology. And I was wondering if you can um, speak to the variation in transpersonal psychologists or what exactly, what perhaps a person who's coming to a transpersonal psychologist could expect.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, someone that could benefit greatly from transpersonal psychology is somebody who has done everything that they should, in quotes, should have done, but still find themselves struggling or Empty or or not quite whole, um, you know a, a lot of times um, people want more, a lot of us want more in our lives, but we don't know how to get there and Of course, um, more generally, we know of um, you know moving towards wholeness in terms of outer experience, so there's people that go and climb k two or there's people who become painters or or singers on the side. Um, transpersonal psychology addresses how can we meet our potential from the inside rather than looking outward for it mm-hmm. so so internally there's there 's other ways to um, meet our our more true potential to become more creative um, uh, transpersonal psychology views depression as a healing um, kind of a a, a fast healing. There's potential to transform. Versus, it, we don't we don't view depression as illness or disease. So, if you're looking for somebody to reframe depression for you and reframe the situation that the struggles that you're dealing with, transpersonal psychology is great for that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are curious about spirituality, uh, that is that's specifically what tr- what transpersonal psychology addresses and while it's wide in its um all sorts of both western and eastern and spiritual perspectives are included um you know if somebody's more interested in an eastern path it would be uh, beneficial probably to, to work with somebody who has studied the things that i've studied um there's other people that do christian counseling or counseling of other varieties that you know that may be something that other pe- that people that are more christian in their beliefs might rather see somebody in that arena. Mm-hmm. Um
0: and I was wondering if you could speak about the parallels and contra- contrast uh between your counseling psychology uh education and your transpersonal psychology education.
1: So the traditional psychology background that I have. Mm. Mhm. Um I feel that it was very valuable to do the traditional counseling psychology and of course we do clinical internships so i have a grounding in um you know standard counseling practices which are you know i don't see those um i don't see that as a practice that is going to go away anytime soon the transpersonal psychology just um, offers a, a big, a big, a bigger lens as to what may be happening. Um, traditional counseling. It's just that the view is, is slightly different. So it's not that what we might be working with are any different. It's just that it's framed differently. Mm-hmm. So we see the importance of evolution of consciousness in transpersonal psychology in counseling at least I was taught, well, basically it's about, you know, helping somebody just get better. Mm-hmm. But it, if we go deeper, there's, there's much more than just getting better. It's basically we, we, there's so many possibilities that exist and, um, transpersonal psychology can help us expand in those ways.
0: Mm-hmm. And what do you think about, um, transpersonal, uh, transpersonal psychology as an adjunct to, a practice like I know that a lot of people practice um, more and more people practice yoga and and a lot of people are practicing all sorts of contemplative traditions mm-hmm. what do you see as um, as a benefit of having a psychological practice a psychological practice uh, in conjunction to these these contemplative uh, traditions
1: I would definitely recommend that people um, go with what has been of benefit to them, Mm. you know, so that they can practice what they preach. Mm -hmm. Um, For somebody who studied yoga, then I would recommend or suggest that if they want to include counseling in their practice and also yoga, that they bring techniques that they've studied.
0: Mm -hmm. I think
1: the most important thing for me or i i know the most important thing for me has been my personal experience and while i've studied books and learned a lot um nothing can um i'm able to help people much more from my own knowledge my wisdom that i've um, attained through my experience my own experience so and what about
0: in like practitioners in general if if somebody's um uh buddhist practitioner or a yoga practitioner and um i've heard about now this is probably far too big of a question to be asking now but it's too late <laughs> um what <laughs> i've I, I don't i'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of spiritual bypassing mm-hmm. how um how would you conceptualize the benefits of a practitioner uh, of one of these traditions and uh, bridging it with with a psychological practice or a, a counseling um going to see a counselor to work through stuff that's being brought up what is your what is your um idea about that
1: can you re-explain i'm a little confused about okay. what you mean
0: um so in terms of uh, a practitioner mm-hmm. um practicing yoga or Meditation and 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 finding that um, that's working really well for them and uh, and being able to um, That's benefiting their lives, but not necessarily processing the deeper work. Mm-hmm. Yeah um, spiritual
1: bypass. Okay. Yeah,
0: and so what uh, what can uh, western or not a western but a, a psych a traditional psycho psychological practice bring to that mm-hmm. how do you see it as important
1: yeah um, definitely spiritual bypass tends to happen when we um we're, we're capable of denying what's going on in the body that's why techniques that bring us more into the body more um, breathing techniques, not only holotropic breathwork, but yoga for sure. Um, it it allows us to enter the deeper realms. There's also the issue of um, Marion Woodman talks about this in all of her books that basically there's a strengthening of an e- the ego that needs to happen before one is strong enough to take the descent. Mm. So you know that's that can definitely c- connect to. Uh, spiritual bypassing. So the the job of the counsellor, whether traditional or transpersonal uh, counsellor, is to, um, to help the person strengthen their ego to allow them to enter the deeper material. And it's basically, you know, honouring timing. Um, you know, sometimes somebody's not ready to go there and it's really important to just work on, um, you know, supporting... The egos, needs, et etc. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: that's. Um, I've never heard, heard it put that way. Strengthening the ego so that one is able to descend.
1: That yeah. makes a lot of
0: sense to me. Marian Woodman's
1: me. books are all really helpful in that, in relation to that. I mm-hmm. highly recommend her. She's a Jungian analyst that speaks about um, specifically descent proce- the descent process in women mm. and the ingrained masculine that's conditioned into us. Highly recommended books.
0: Great. Well, um, for the last uh, question here, what?
1: where can listeners find you? How can they contact you? Um, they can contact me through my website, which is www.transpersonalpsychology.ca. Uh, they could also call me at 604-601-4965. I offer mostly individual breathwork sessions,
0: could you could you remind us of what your website and your telephone number are again?
1: Yes, uh, www.transpersonalpsychology.ca and my phone number is six zero four six zero one four nine six five. Great.
0: Thank you so much for being here today, Anne. Thank you uh, so much.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.